Blog Talk Radio. family. Thanks for listening to the Eastern Airlines Radio Show. My name is Neil Holland, producer of the show. We have a great show for you tonight. Got a flight out west and I think you'll enjoy uh, the crew and what we have uh, fun in store for you when we get there. And to all our listeners around the world, we say welcome. Jim Hart. Hello, Eastern family and friends around the world. It's great having you with us. My name is Jim Hart, coming to you live from the beautiful West Palm Beach, Florida area, where the weather today was 82 degrees. Yay! (laughs) Welcome and thanks for listening and calling the show. You have truly made us the radio voice of Eastern Airlines. In fact, we can now say we've become Eastern Airlines International Radio Show. We'd love to hear your comments and share your memories with radio listeners from around the world during the broadcast. If you haven't called the show before, all you need to do is call 213-816-1611 and just say hello to talk with us on the air alive. We can identify many countries around the world who listen in with our blog talk radio application. Isn't it great that we can keep the Eastern legacy going out to not only the Eastern family, but to listeners from different countries around the world? That's what we try to do every week on the EAL radio show. Won't you join us by adding your voice to these broadcasts? Our thanks also to those who choose to listen by computer using the radio icon on our homepage at www.ealradioshow.com or perhaps by signing in at the site of our provider, Blog Talk Radio at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie. Should you wish to talk during our live broadcast, please feel free to use our call-in number 
213-816-1611 at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Let me repeat the numbers so you can write it down for your Monday night visit. And by the way, tell your friends about us. That number again, 213-816-1611. And don't forget you can listen to any of our 402nd Monday night broadcast and the 75-plus Thursday broadcast by simply going to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie and scrolling down through the archive or broadcast. Each episode is briefly described. Get this now, nearly 500 episodes at this point. Wow! Our lines are always open for calls, and if you choose not to participate and talk live with your host, we ask that you please mute your phone as our producer does not have the capability of filtering out background noises. I see now that we're number one for takeoff. So, Captain, let's get flight number 402 in the air and heading toward Portland. Take us all on an exciting trip somewhere. Right, Captain? 
Yeah, just be patient. Be patient, Jerry, and you'll find out what we're going to do. Yes, Captain, you wanted to see me? Yeah, Carrie, I hope I'm not taking you away from your service in the cabin, though. No, sir, we have everyone taken care of, and most are enjoying the scenery outside or napping. I've gotten Colleen working with me, along with Dorothy and Norma Jean in the back. They're a great crew and always eager to go places and do things on these Pacific Coast layovers. So, need some coffee? We've got some cheesecake left if you guys would like to partake. Carrie, I'll go back with you and get a slice of uh, each for each of us when we hear what the captain has in mind. Captain Jim, you got our undivided attention. Well, okay, as you guys know, I got a Chevy station wagon that Joe Gimble and I bought from an agent out here in Portland some time ago, and I keep it parked at the Cosmo. That's the Cosmo Pilot from Hotel, where we lay over. Now, here's what I'm thinking. If you guys want to go skiing tomorrow up on Mount Hood, we'll leave the hotel early and drive up, have some lunch, ski, and then have dinner, and then back to the Cosmo so we can get some sleep before our trip next morning. How does that sound, Carrie? And by the way, I'd like two pieces of that cheesecake, but only if you have enough, okay? <laughs> okay. Count me in, Captain Jim. I had my first trip to Mount Hood a few years ago with Captain Bill Malone and fell in love. You fell in love with Captain Malone? I thought I had a chance, Carrie. No, to both, Jerry. I fell in love with the mountain, the lodge, the skiing, and especially sitting in front of that great big fireplace drinking hot rum and talking about Eastern. Tell me more, more about your plans, Captain. Well, we'll be on time, and we should be at the hotel about 8 o'clock tonight. If you guys are not too tired, how about we meet in the dugout around 9 for a drink? Whoever in your crew wanting to go with us, and tell them to be there for the planet. Okie dokie. I just mentioned my crew, and also there's a couple of pass riders I know who might want to go with us. How big is your car, Captain? Well, we can probably get six uh, in my car, but we have the use of Captain Bill's car if we have others wanting to go. I used to use Bill Plymouth out here before I got my own wheels, and unless he's, unless he's out here on vacation, it should be available. Hey, count me in. If Carrie is planning to go, I'm going too. Hey, guys, look what's coming into view. Hi, guys. Sorry to interrupt, but lots of folks are looking out the window at the great scenery 35,000 feet below. Can you let them know what's down there? You know, even though we work the flight, we enjoy listening to an occasional travel log, oh, especially in this area of the country. All right, Colleen. Mount Rainier is just coming into view. It should be a great view for those on the left side of the plane. Want me to tell the folks, Captain? Yeah, Jerry, and give them an update on our arrival time into Seattle. Yeah, I'm ready for some cheesecake. Carrie, what have we got in plans for tomorrow? Now that we have the plans for tomorrow covered, let's go back and uh, I'll help you slice off three good slices of that, of that pie. Hey, Carrie, you don't mind if I stay up here for a few minutes? I'd like to take in this wonderful view. Do you mind? Of course not, Colleen. Enjoy the scenery. I see lots of snow on those mountains. It should be great skiing tomorrow. <clears throat> Hello, folks. 
This is First Officer Jerry Frost on the flight deck to give you our position and arrival time into Seattle. For those of you on the left side of the airplane, in just a few minutes, you'll have a great view of one of the Pacific Northwest Great Mountains, Mount Rainier. Just a few highlights of this majestic beauty. It's 54 miles southeast of Seattle, Washington. It is the most topographically prominent mountain in the contiguous United States and the Cascade Volcanic Arc. With a summit elevation of 14,411 feet, Mount Rainier is considered to be one of the most dangerous volcanoes in the world, and it is on the decade volcano list. Because of its large amount of glacial ice, Mount Rainier could potentially produce massive lars that would threaten the whole Pula River Valley. Mount Rainier is the highest mountain in Washington and the Cascade Range. It has a topographic prominence of 13,211 feet, greater than that of K2, 13,189 feet. On clear days, it dominates the southeastern horizon in most of the Seattle-Tacoma metropolitan area to such an extent that locals sometimes refer to it simply as the mountain. On days of exceptionally clarity, it can also be seen from as far away as Portland, Oregon, and Victoria, British Columbia. With 26 major glaciers and 36 square miles of permanent snowfields and glaciers, Mount Rainier is the most heavily glaciated peak in the lower 48 states. The summit is topped by two volcanic craters, each more than 1,000 feet in diameter, with the largest east crater overlapping the west crater. Geothermal heat from the volcano keeps areas of both crater rims free of snow and ice and has formed the world's largest volcanic glacier cave network within the ice-filled craters with nearly two miles of passages. A small crater lake about 130 by 30 feet in size and 16 feet deep, the highest in North America, with a surface elevation of 14,203 feet, occupies the lowest portion of the west crater below more than 100 feet of ice and is accessible only via the caves. Folks, if any of you are going back with us day after tomorrow, and if the weather permits, we like to give our passengers a Mount Rainier off-airway tour, which the air traffic controllers love to give our eastern flights. We'll fly breathtakingly close to Mount to the mountain for a spectacular view from both sides of the aircraft. Just another reason Eastern tries to earn our wings every day. Now the weather in Seattle is a beautiful day as you can see outside with the winds favoring an Elliott Bay approach to runway 16 left. So you folks on the right will get a great view of downtown Seattle and Elliott Bay area. The temperature is a comfortable 52 degrees Thanks for flying with us to the beautiful Pacific Northwest today. I'm going to turn over the mic to our second officer, and Mike will tell you about the fabulous plane we're flying today and built right here in Seattle. Thanks, Jerry. And yes, folks, this is one of the many great aircraft built by Boeing Aircraft Company in Seattle, Washington. We're proud to say that Eastern Airlines was the very first airline to introduce this aircraft to the public travel uh, traveling service in February 1st 1964 uh, from Fe Philadelphia to Washington to Miami it 
became one of the most popular aircraft ever built and is still in service today by many of the world's carriers. Eastern took delivery of the larger version, which we are in today, the Boeing 727-200, on December 1, 1985. It's 20 feet longer than its baby brother, the 100 series. It's 150 feet, uh, 53 feet long and has a wingspan of 108 feet and is 34 feet high. With our larger engines, its gross takeoff weight is 209,500 pounds with the power delivered by its three JTAD-17 Pratt & Whitney engines. It's certified to, four, to fly at 42,000 feet and has a max cruising speed of 0.90 Mach, which is nine-tenths of the speed of sound. This aircraft is configured to seat 190 passengers. We have a range of 2,400 miles. With all the series of the Boeing 727 Whisper Jet, Eastern has owned more than 170 aircraft. Of course, Eastern tagged it with a, the appropriate name, Whisper Jet, because it has the minimum noise in the cabin, and along with the feature and the fact that Eastern's finest in-flight representatives, our flight attendants, are serving you today and can be assured of the greatest way to fly. Eastern Airlines, the wings of man. And thank you so much for being our guest today. Hey, Jerry and Mike, those are great in-flight announcements. And you both got a round of applause from the passengers. Way to go. You guys know where I got that information about Mount Rainier? Good old Captain Bill Malone. I recorded some of his great PA announcements without him knowing. Of course, I don't sound exactly like Bill, but I can give you a pretty good imitation. Maybe you'll hear that later after a few warm rum drinks at the lodge. <laughs> I can't wait. And Jerry, you're right. You didn't sound like Bill. You'll have to raise your voice a few octaves, then you'll have it. Boy, he sure was a fun guy to fly with. When I would hear that he was going to be the captain on my flight that day, I knew it would be another mystery flight. Mystery in what we would be doing on this particular trip. You know, once we took his car over to Mount Rainier and did a brunch in the beautiful restaurant at Snoqualmie Falls. Boy, it's hard to imagine a more stunning location for a meal with outstanding views of the falls and Snoqualmie River. Boy, you know, Bill knew all the great places wherever he flew. Good evening, folks. This is Don Gagnon and your narrator for, along with Jim Holder, Kerry Holder, Jim Hart, Jerry Frost, Mike Scott, Norma Jean Borger, Chuck Allwright, and Colleen DeFleece, and of course our fabulous webmaster, Dorothy Gagnon. Welcome to the Houston Airlines Radio Show. We've got an excellent trip planned for you tonight with the crew in the beautiful Eastern Boeing 727-200 Whisperjet Flight Number 402. We've heard about the aircraft and enjoyed a typical Eastern crew during a flight and you're about to share a layover with the crew members who not only enjoy the layover, but each other's company. Fabulous Eastern stories and wonderful camaraderie between Eastern family. The weather here is excellent at this time of year, just right for a, skip, uh, for a ski trip planning in the next stage. <laughs> 
Now let's join Captain Jim and his crew as they relax at the cozy dugout lounge at the Hotel Cosmopolitan. Hey guys, Captain Jim. Captain Jim. Well, I see Neil. I see everybody beat me down, Neil. Have you guys ordered? Let's see. We're going to go DTC, aren't we? Yeah. In case you don't understand my way of saying, that's separate checks. And it's DTC, Dutch Street, of course. Young lady, I'll have a course life. <laughs> Captain Jim, I'd like you to smart. meet a couple of friends. <laughs> Of friends who are passing pass riding out with us. You remember Luann Wiggins, my high school classmate from back in Hazard, Kentucky. Remember when we were on a, on the L.A. layover and we met her and Captain Mick at the Irish Pub. Oh, now how could Captain Jim forget me? Remember the song "Pretty Woman" walking along with me. Hello, Captain, and I sure appreciate you letting me and my friend Luther tag along. We promise not to embarrass you on the slopes. Yes, I do remember that. And you're a flight attendant with Air Kentucky, as I recall. Yes, sir, you got it. Air Kentucky, we're still in the air, and we had past privileges with Eastern. Thank God, because we don't have any trips out here to the Northwest. We just fly around Kentucky. See, here's my, this here's my friend Luther Hicks. He got on with Air Kentucky after he finally learned how to fly. I, I hope I can learn how to ski if flying didn't come too easy for me. Uh, good to see you again, Luther. Just don't break any bones out there in the slopes. They have the beginner slopes, and that's where out the jet you start. Tara can help you, and she's a very good ski instructor, having learned from Captain Bill Malone himself. We've heard so much about this famous Eastern captain, Bill Malone, and I feel like I know him already. You'll probably get to hear more about him because when Eastern shows up at the ski lodge, folks will be asking about Captain Malone. Everyone who has ever met him can share a story two or three about Bill. My favorite one is about... uh... Not now, Mike. Let's talk about that tomorrow. All right, listen, listen up. We're going to meet in the lobby at 5 a.m. And for breakfast, there's a ditty across the street. <coughs> then we're off to Mount Hood. And don't forget the time zone changes. Let's simonize our watches. It's 9.45 p.m. Right, 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 right now. Push the button down. And that reminds me of another great story about Bill Malone and his pocket wine piece. But I'll save that for tomorrow. You got to hear it. I see you guys in the morning. I'm going to go get some sleep, but I see a great day of skiing for all of us tomorrow. So good night, all. Good night. Good night, Captain. Good night. Good night. Now the crew has arrived at the Timberline Lodge after a drive nearly 
the Columbia, near the Columbia River and the beautiful scenery along U.S. Highway number 26 through Sandy Mountain Hood Village. Then the Timberline Highway uh, for uh, probably about 60 miles up the trip. They are relaxing uh, at the uh, one of America's most beautiful fireplaces in what is called the Great Room. Boy, how do you like the sound of that? We need some marshmallows. Yeah, boy. Hi, folks. Are you the flying Eastern Flight uh, 402 yesterday from Atlanta? Yes, and you were the path rider from Miami and work in Miami maintenance. You're with your wife, Patty. Yes, and Patty is still in our room, fascinated with the wood-burning stove fireplace. Well, first, let me tell you all what a beautiful flight we had out here with you yesterday. The service was great. Congratulations on the great travel log on the way. It's great to be kept informed, especially when there's so much to see from 35,000 feet. Patty and I are in our, our premier fireplace guest rooms with king's bed our fireplace room has an in-room coffee pot a sitting area a real wood-burning fireplace the room is uniquely decorated with original handcrafted furniture fabrics and rugs and we have the most fascinating view of mount jefferson you could imagine you know we come out here often and we can as we can as one of our this is one of our favorite vacation spots do you all know the history of the beautiful lodge? By the way, my name is Chuck Albright, and my wife is Patty. I work as a maintenance manager in the engine shop in Miami. Well, it's nice to meet you and your wife. You know, some of us may not know the history, so maybe you can fill them in. Well, sure thing, Colleen. Timberline Lodge is the integral part of the American heritage. In keeping with the spirit of our pioneer forefathers, the air and the area's native people, and the mountain's bounty of wild flora and fauna, the lodge and the ski area were built with the rugged spirit of individualism and yet a product of President Franklin Delano Roosevelt's New Deal policy. It was born out of a spirit of cooperation and teamwork. Timberline Lodge was born during the throngs of the Great Depression. It was a make-work project during the severely idle national economy. It was, and still is today, a symbol of hope and purpose, representing the notion that when the government works closely with the people, it can truly serve the common good and provide solutions to some of society's biggest problems. Franklin Roosevelt dedicated the lodge in 1937 as a testament to the workers on the role of the Work Progress Administration. Nearly 85 years ago, Timberline that is, and much more, Timberline is where his, historic preservation, stewardship, recreation, and hospitality come together to provide an unforgettable experience. Not everyone thought it could be done. Build a ski lodge near the top of Oregon's t tallest mountain and the brutal heights of the Great Depression. Hmm. 
but built as they did, entirely by hand, inside and out, from massive timbers and rocks they found in the wilderness. They were unemployed craftspeople hired by the Federal Works Progress Administration. Timberline Lodge is a tribute to their skill and a monument to the government that is responsible for the needs of its people in a desperate time. Ground was broken on June 14, 1936. Work was done amazingly quick, rushed due to the extreme weather conditions and the uncertainty of the WPA's future. Just 15 months had passed when President Franklin Roosevelt dedicated the complete lodge on September 28, 1937. Golly gee, I think I saw it in a movie, but I can't remember which one it was. I do remember there was lots of blood and snow, though. Oh, yes. Do you remember the movie Shining with Jack Nicholson? It was filmed here in 1980. It was based on a Stephen King novel. Remember, it was called the Overlook Hotel in the movie. Then there was Jingle Bells in 1941. In 1952, Bend of the River with Jimmy Stewart and Rock Hudson was shot here. And in 1960, All the Young Men with Alan Ladd was made here. There were a few more, too, with the scenery and snow during the winter. It makes it the perfect location for anyone wanting this type setting for a movie. They they cleaned up all of the blood, though. Also, many presidents and famous people have stayed here. You know, someone last night mentioned Captain Bill Malone. He sure is well known by some of the workers around here. Whenever I told someone I was with an Eastern crew, they asked if it was Bill Malone. Was he here? Was it Bill Malone's crew? Well, I see someone over there can tell us a story about Captain Bill. Hey, Dennis, come over here and join us with a drink. We're about to talk about the near legend, at least out here, Bill Malone. Gang, this is Captain G. Dennis Ledbetter, or should I say General Ledbetter. If anyone knows about Bill Malone, it would be Dennis. You're right in both areas. I'm a captain with Eastern and a general in the U.S. Air Force. Hey, folks, how you doing? Yes, I can tell a few stories about Bill Malone. In fact, I've got so many in my head, I'm going to have to get just pick out the best. <laughs> I flew for several years with Bill on the 727 when we first got the, the route to Seattle. And then later, uh, I was the first officer with him on the 1011. But on the very first trip that Bill and I took to Seattle, uh, I'd already flown the trip with other captains, and my ski equipment was in the hotel. And so when I got there, I said, Bill, how'd you like to go skiing tomorrow? He said, well, I've never skied in my life. I said, well, meet me downstairs at 9 o'clock. I have a car in the garage, and we're going to go out and teach you to ski. So... uh, I had just bought this car on a previous trip. I had to go to the tag office and get a tag for it. Make a short story long, we didn't get to the slopes till about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and uh, Bill had to be suited out with uh, new clothes, and he did. He bought the finest boots, but I got him to rent <laughs> skis. And uh, so we get outside of the ski shop, put the skis on, and I said, Bill, you got to practice standing there for a few minutes get used to it. They gave him 230s, if you know anything about skis. I was skiing on 215s in those days, but Bill was so tall they thought he needed a 230. 
<laughs> you talk about my, that thing was reaching a mile down the slopes in front of him. Anyway, he was standing around there and getting the feel of everything. And I said, "Okay, let's uh, go over and get on the chairlift." So we make it to the chairlift, and he says, "No, I don't think so." I said, "Come on, Bill, you spent all this money. Uh, we're going skiing." He says, "No, no, no. I'm going to stand right here." And what he ended up doing was standing right there and posing. Now, you can see Bill Malone posing. <laughs> and he would change positions, and these girls would come up and say, Are you a ski instructor? <laughs> of course, he couldn't even move. <laughs> so I said, Okay, Bill, I'm going to make a run. So I got on the lift and went up and came down. There he was, still posing in different positions for everybody. And they, you know, thought he was the greatest ski instructor they'd ever seen. And this went on. I made about four runs, and I said, come on, Bill, we're going to go skiing. I've got to teach you how to ski. And he says, uh, do it next trip. <laughs> so very quickly, the next trip, I got him on the lift, got him up, and I said, okay, this is the basic way I want you to go down the hill with me. Follow me, and uh, it's called a snowplow, and you can stop, you can go as fast as you want, you can stop, you can do anything in a snowplow. That's what we're going to practice, Bill. So I start down the hill in the snowplow, and he passes me like I was standing still. He had put those skis together. As tall as he was, the first bump, he fell. <laughs> but he learned to ski because he's taught everybody else to ski, and he's a uh, great skier. We went to Europe on a trip, uh, he and I and, and the wives, and we were in Kitzbühel and uh, took the uh, gondola up to the top of the mountain, and we got up there, and it was solid ice. And I said, Bill, I don't ski on ice. I'm sorry. I'm going to take the gondola down to the village, and you need to come with me. Oh, no, I came over here to ski. About an hour and a half later, he struggles in to the lodge, and quite as a ghost, he says, I see why you don't ski on ice. <laughs> his, uh, his watch, of course, was very famous, and uh, we had flown, oh, I don't know, a couple of months together, and he says, you go fly with me, you got to get a, a railroad pocket watch. <laughs> he says, I know where to get you one. It's an 1890. So uh, we went over, and I bought the watch, and he says, now I've got a uh, lion's tooth on a leather key fob for you to put on that watch. So he gave me a lion's tooth because that's what he had on his. And uh, so as long as I flew with Bill, I carried my watch, but it's in the drawer. In fact, I saw it just the other day. And uh, the last story about Bill, we were on the 1011 on our way to Seattle. And uh, it was my leg going into Omaha. And sometimes the 1011 was uh, a difficult airplane to land, especially in a crosswind. And I arrived. I mean, it was strong. <laughs> and uh, the tower's calling, you know, Eastern such and such, and uh, Bill didn't answer. And they called they call four times. And he finally answered, and he says, Oh, sorry, Tower says, boy, that was such a landing, I lost my headset. <laughs> that made me feel great. <laughs> Dennis, you know Ernie Waldrop? 
who was an Eastern captain. Well, here's one for you guys. Story number three. Flying along, co-pilot is flying, instructed to change frequencies. Bill changes over to the new frequency where the controller could just barely be heard. So Bill, in an offensively way, states, If you just hold the mic a little closer to your mouth, we could hear exactly what you're trying to say. (laughs) The furious reply was, don't tell me how to talk on the mic. Unflustered, Bill replied, Center, that's much better. I must have laughed for five minutes. (laughs) Story number four. Headed to Seattle when Bill started this particular announcement. I know the girls in the back started to groan because they had heard it and heard it ad nauseum. But the passengers loved it. It went like this. Bill would bank the airplane to the left, and then over the PA he would say, Folks, if you look down there, you can see the joining together of the Bighorn and the Little Bighorn Rivers. Just imagine yourself being there back on that fateful day in 1876. Early on that morning, Colonel Custer stepped out of his tent. (laughs) Golden locks flowing in the breeze, he turned to his orderly and said, Gee, I wonder what the Indians are mad about. They all looked like they were having a good time at the dance last night. Har, har, har. I guess I'll go back in my tent and put on my arrow shirt. Har, har, har. By this time, the whole crew who had heard this monologue every time they flew with Bill were ready to barf, but the passengers loved it. Well, I never heard it. I never flew with him, but I heard that he has a pocket watch that he used in case the official time in Golden, Colorado goes down. Yeah, whenever he starts out on the trip, he'll tune into the official time hack coming from Golden, Colorado. And with the overhead speaker on, he'll check to see if the official time is correct by his timepiece. It's really a hoot to fly with Bill. He really likes to work the cabin on long trips and meet his guests on board. I think that's how he feels about the passengers. Bill and I worked on, well, uh, Bill was on the LEC with Dennis, and and uh, they were worked in the uh, Atlanta together, and, and he was a chairman, and, and Dennis was the first officer. Dennis left just a few minutes ago. He had some folks to meet, and uh, this was back in 19, I don't know when, but Bill would face any challenge with max effort, but uh, for what he believed was right. Jim, you got a story? Yeah, I got it. Certain one from my own personal collection of Major Malone stories. It involved me flying as a trip with Bill's first officer out to Portland. Bill would always tell his first and second officers that when the meals were boarded. There was a special prepared meal for the captain. It was Bill Malone. It was, in most cases, a sumptuous serving of whatever the cater wished to delight the captain. That captain marked on the container. Well, after flying several trips with Bill and having my own car, I decided to go to Jake's Crab House out there and order the chef's delight to go. I had to put in a hotel fridge overnight. The next morning went to the airport earlier than the rest of the crew. Because I then put that thing in the galley with special instructions to the flight attendants to serve my crew meal 
after the captain had his. On the outside of its container, I'd written to First Officer Jim Holder from Joe the Caterer. When my meal was brought up, I made a point to make sure that Bill saw the instructions written by Joe the Caterer. It acted as if I knew nothing about this special treat I was about to consume. Bill was all attentive to my opening of the lid of a special crew meal prepared for Jim Holder. He leaned all the way over, and actually when he's so tall, he leaned over. He was in my lap almost. Of course, it <laughs> consisted of all the seafood that Bill would order for, plus much more. I think I spent $25 for that lunch, and Bill, I'm in. Do you suppose you could ask your friend Joe to fix me one exactly like that on our next trip out? I never did tell him what I'd done, and I'm sure he'd he ask my braces if they knew Joe the caterer. <laughs> oh, boy, I got all kind of Bill Malone stories. Well, you guys can keep telling the Malone stories, but I want to get out on the slope. Luann, you and Luther come with me, and we'll get you fitted for shoes and skis or snowboard for for workouts on the beginner slopes. Hey, a few years ago, I was just like you until Captain Bill Malone took the time to teach me. During your first lesson, I'll teach you some basic exercises that will develop your sense of balance and get you accustomed to sliding. I'll help you focus on feeling the ski or snowboard's edge. Once you learn edge control, you'll be able to stop or change directions whenever you want. It's okay to be nervous. Feeling nervous is a normal reaction to circumstances that are new or intimidating. I'll do my best to create a fun, safe, and supportive learning environment for you. You'll learn at a comfortable pace, and I want you to ask questions. Any nervousness you feel will likely be replaced by exhilaration and a sense of accomplishment once you achieve your first turn or descent. It will probably take three lessons to reach a point where you can explore the mountain on your own. Just be patient, stay focused, and enjoy the snow. And as Bill Malone would tell you, I'm here to help you determine when you're ready to move on from the beginner hill to the summit. Ready? Let's go. Again, there's that silly music following me wherever I go. Yeah, we're down. I didn't mean to jump on you. I got a quick Bill Malone story I can throw in here if we got time. 
Well, we are finished with our script, and I'd love to have some more Bill Malone stories. So go ahead, Jim. Okay. As we know, Bill Malone was big on time and watches and clocks and all that kind of stuff, and he actually wore a wristwatch on both arms. And he had those long <laughs> arms. And one of the things that the second officer has to do flying to Seattle and anywhere it's up real high and real cold, every 30 minutes you've got to throw a couple of switches to run hot oil over the fuel stringer so that they don't get ice on them. Well, Bill Malone, and I kid you not, he had a, an alarm clock, an old wind-up alarm clock. And he dragged <laughs> that thing out, and he set it to go off every 30 minutes. And then he would reach for those long arms he has back there. And the poor second officer sitting there wondering what's going on, especially if he'd never flown with Bill before. And he turned the three switches on the ball of oil, as we called it. And uh, <laughs> that would get the ice out of there. But I think mean, that's the thing. Or ding, 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 ding. There's Bill. Throws his arm over there and throws those switches. And then he's got to run it for, what, I think a minute or something like that. And you come back off. And the guy from yeah. the second officer would look over at me like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> That's Bill Malone, man. We all got a load of stories about him. Yeah. Well, here's here's the uh, the United States Navy Observatory time, and this is what he would hear, something similar to it. He liked to uh, tune in on that high frequency. Mike, what was that frequency? You don't – you remember – uh, One, the Boulder, yeah, Colorado, 10, Boulder, Colorado. 10,000, 10, yeah. Yeah, and he would sit there and, and time it. It sounded something like this. U.S. Naval Observatory Master Clock. At the tone, Eastern Standard Time. 12 hours, 39 minutes, 45 seconds. Universal Time, 17 hours, 39 minutes, 50 seconds. <laughs> U.S. Naval Observatory, Mass. And so on. And he would have his his pocket watch and his timepiece, and he would watch that second hand go around, and it'd have to mm-hmm. be exactly there. And if it needed adjustment, he would adjust it. And I never forget that. And of course, somebody told me once that I say somebody told me once that his daddy was a railroad man, and that's where he got that fascination with yeah, keeping time. Yeah, that's right. And, oh, that's right. I ran a story that he wrote about a trip that he and Joy took on the railroad, and uh, he wrote it for the uh, magazine Repartee, and uh, I mm. ran it and, uh, when I was the editor, and uh, it was a, a great story. Yeah, he liked railroads, that's for sure. Yeah. But uh, he loved that uh, to clean up the cockpit from the previous crew, and he would always find something that uh, he would have to clean wipe all the glass on the instruments on the instrument panel and then down to the uh, radio uh, panel, the the console between the first and second and the captain. And he'd take his paintbrush and sweep out any of the dust and anything that had to come off the tray and uh, always tidied up. And uh, that's the way he left it, too. And a uh, great guy to fly with, a lot of fun. He was a Yeah, he, he would take the the clipboard that have paper sticking out on the side of the metal clipboard, and he would get scissors and cut them off where the nothing was sticking out of the clipboard on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> he drive me crazy. <laughs> crazy. He, he, uh, I flew a trip out there one night, and uh, he said, Neil, you take the controls now. He says, I want to go back there in the cabin. He says, I got to take care of some business. And uh, he'd leave the uh, cockpit, and he'd come back a few minutes, and 
And, of course, this was night going out, and, and he'd have his shirt tail hanging out of his fly. <laughs> of course, you'd have to make a remark about that. And one time I threw a trip with him, and he came and he said, Neil, I've got a puzzle that I made. I want to see if you can figure it out. And uh, he said, here, unbutton that shirt. Just one button is all I need, unbutton. And he took a string with a pencil that uh, the string had been, uh, there had been a hole drilled in the pencil and they had no point on the pencil. Of course, it was unsharpened. And he had that uh, string uh, like a necklace you'd hang around your neck, except it was a pencil. And he put that thing, looped it around and, and it became fastened to the hole in the shirt. And he says, now see if you can get that off. <laughs> And I struggle with it and struggle with it. And I said, yeah, I think I can. If you give me a pair of scissors, I'll cut my shirt and get it out. <laughs> and he would laugh at that and laugh at that. And then his banana joke, his banana joke was the best. Hey, hey Neil and Jim, uh, Jim, uh, the DC-7 uh, had an instrument panel uh, back by the engineer's uh, station with all those gauges on there. Well, it wasn't was a DC-7. It was a Connie. I don't think the DC-7 had a... DC-7, uh, the engineer was set between the pilots. That's right. Yeah, yeah. he set forwards. There was a yeah. lot of gauges back there. That was a yeah. Connie, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, who who monitored all that? Well, you flip a you flip a coin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know the thing about Whichever it is, one you, is can look, you 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 can be looking at that panel and looking around, and if one needle does something wrong, you see it. It's yeah. just like it jumps out at you. Yeah. At least that's yeah. what we like to think. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. We we all had our chance to sit sideways. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a fact. Oh boy. Yeah. God bless you guys. Dorothy? Well, the good part about the 727 is it generally had a light came on when something bad happened. Yeah. Yeah. Any dusty well, switches? Well, they had no broken bones and uh, all happy about their trip up to Mount Hood. The crew a little tired, uh, hoping to do it again and soon. Eastern crews, both front end and back end, enjoyed trips with decent hours on their trip awards to explore the many attractions offered. The radio show has taken some trips with various crews to exciting cities like New York, Los Angeles, Seattle, San Francisco, San Juan, and throughout the Caribbean. Is it any wonder that Eastern Airline became the legendary airline it truly was? The people at Eastern made this happen and are still keeping the love in their hearts for this once great airline known as the Wings of Man. Eastern Airlines, the Wings of Man. That's our show for tonight. Uh, Dorothy, how about telling us who the cast was? Okay, the cast was Captain is Jim Holder. Senior Flight Attendant was Carrie Holder. First Officer was Jerry Frost. Second officer was Mike Scott. We had the flight attendant, Colleen DeFelice. A past rider was Chuck Albright. 
Dennis Ledbetter, he played himself. G. Dennis Ledbetter. First narrator was Don Gagnon. Second narrator was Dorothy Gagnon, myself. And introducing Luann Wiggins, that was Carrie Holder. Luther Hicks was Neil Holland. Now let's have some of our future shows to uh, warn you about (laughs) as they're coming up. We have the next one that's coming up, and that's which airline was first, and that's going to be February 25th, so make sure you join us. Uh, Following which, we're going to have airline humor, and that's going to be a real fun show, one that you won't want to miss, so try to keep that on your calendar. Of course, on Thursdays, uh, this Thursday, we have... uh, the From the Eastern File, and Neil always gives us a great memorable story of taken exactly from our Wings of Many book. And then we follow that with another old-time radio show, and we have Eastern Rockin' to the 50s. Now, we've had some great shows, folks, so please dial up on three at 3.30 on February 21st. Try to listen to this other one. Of course, like all of our shows, you can... Look back on the uh, blog talk, Captain Eddie blog talk, and you'll have all of them there to dial in any time you want. And there's some great listening, so keep that in mind, folks. Uh, Our website is there also for you to go in, peruse, and uh, listen, enjoy all that we have. Uh, We're here, we're for Eastern, and that's what we're doing. We're giving you the best of Eastern. Back to you, Neil. And don't forget, our sponsor for the shows are, well, it is Retired Eastern Airlines, Pilots Association, REPA, in which you hear two of the directors of uh, the Retired Eastern. Uh, before we, uh, before I go any further, Jerry, anything exciting happening? Or Jim, uh, you want to tell us about the well, uh, yeah, about the, board the REPA? Of directors is, board of Directors is meeting uh, next Saturday. And we got some uh, some uh, decisions we got to make. Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. I think I Jerry, Jerry left. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Well, it's we'll be uh, uh, we'll be meeting in North Atlanta uh, Saturday at one o'clock, and we have a pretty, pretty full agenda. More on that okay. later. Okay. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, let's bring her in here. Jim Hart, are you still with us? Okay. Great landing, Captain, as usual. Be sure to tune oh, in Jim's again with next Jim, Monday. Jim Hart's with us. Okay. Take it away, Great Jim Hart. Great landing, Captain, as usual. Be sure to tune in again next Monday, February 18th. 
when America's favorite way to fly returns to the cyber waves with Eastern Airlines history set to music. With this, we sign off by playing Jimmy Durante's salute to Mr. and Mrs. Calabash. Our producer, if you will, please. We've had a few laughs, and it's time for two to loot. Up we go, up we sing, and ink-a-dink-a-doo. Good night, good night, good night. Good night, good night, good night.